This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Due to the graphic nature of this haunted place, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes depictions of child abuse and suicidal ideation. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Claire's partner, Brian, always told her she needed to be more romantic, more spontaneous. So she surprised him with a visit to Ross Castle in County Meath. Brian said this was more like it, even if the castle's legend of star-crossed lovers was a bit depressing they snuck away from the group to share a quick, secret kiss against the stone walls. But as their lips met, Brian yelped and pulled away from her. She asked what was wrong, afraid she'd misread his signals. Tears slid from his eyes as he stuck out his tongue gingerly. Blood coated his teeth, and his lip quivered. There was a large, ragged hole in the middle of his tongue. Claire's eyes widened. She braced him against the wall to keep him from fainting and grabbed the nearest person she could to ask for help. The stranger had kind eyes, but a distant expression. Claire begged again. The woman's face hardened. She told Claire that she never should have brought her lover here. Nothing good ever came of that. When she turned back, Brian was gone. Claire rushed from tourist to tourist, asking if they'd seen him, but they each looked just as bewildered as she was. She finally caught a Nordic gentleman, who told her he'd seen Brian leaving out the front door, his arm looped around another young woman. She ran outside to look for him, but the mist prevented her from seeing more than a few feet in front of her. She called his name as she walked forward, feeling a pull towards the eerie gray lake known as Loch Sheelan. She tripped over something solid, almost falling into the dark water. It was Brian. He was deathly still, his bloody mouth opened wide, his eyes frozen in fear. She tried to lower herself beside him, but a pale white hand yanked her backward. She turned to see the stranger from earlier. In her panic, she hadn't noticed how beautiful the stranger was, ethereal. A musical voice hissed in Claire's ears, telling her she never should have left him alone. The enchanting girl was gone in an instant. And so was Brian. Welcome to Haunted Places, a podcast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places for free on Spotify. And every Tuesday, make sure to check out Urban Legends. These special episodes of Haunted Places are available exclusively on Spotify. 
At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to Ross Castle, an Irish castle where a star-crossed love story and a cursed lake combine to form the ultimate fairy tale gone wrong. And discover why, to this day, it's haunted. Ross Castle was always the home of invaders. The majestic stone fortress was built in 1533 for Richard Nugent, an English occupier of Ireland who was named the 12th Baron of Delvin by King Henry VIII. Dominated by a three-story tall tower and a lower level surrounded by stone walls, it provided a home base for Nugent and other servants of the English crown to battle with the local Celtic-Irish clans. The O'Reillys, McCabe's, O'Neill's, and McCormick's all hated the English invaders, and they all lived just across the lake. The lake is known as Loch Sheelan in Irish, which is said to mean Lake of the Fairy Pool. It is perhaps an Irish stereotype to say that the Fae can be found around every corner, but near Loch Sheelan, that is perfectly true. There are numerous rumors of spirits here, from ghostly apparitions of tragic accidents to monsters beneath the lake itself. The seven-square-mile lake provided a natural barrier between the English and Irish sides, but the Irish townspeople in the small village of Ross likely wished the O'Reillys would get on with expelling the occupiers from their land, for Richard Nugent was also known as the Black Baron, a cruel tyrant who thought nothing of punishing the innocent ruling both the region and Ross Castle with an iron fist. He is one of the most prominent spirits said to haunt Ross Castle, but he is by no means the most famous. That honor belongs to his daughter, Sabina. Though we have no firm historical record of her, Sabina's sad story is recounted in many books of legends and ghost stories of Ireland. It is a tale of doomed love mourned not just by her, but by every visitor to this haunted place. Sabina had been cursed with poor health. Her nursemaid always said, to be English on Irish soil was a crime, and the spirits would see to it that all Englishmen suffer as penance. At first, she hadn't understood what the English had done to upset the face so. But as she grew older, she saw how her father inspired fear across the land. He was not a kind man, and his unkindness extended into their house. He was a man made of lightning. His anger was unexpected and violent, shaking the stone walls and leaving people cowering. Sometimes, however, he didn't let them live at all. Sabina was rarely well enough to leave the castle grounds, but when she did, she was horrified by what she saw. Her father killed without a second thought, meeting out an extreme form of justice that made sense only to him. For years, she felt like a prisoner within both her home and her body, constantly plagued by illness and living under the watchful eye of a tyrant. 
Sabina had no escape from pain. She saw the glowing eyes of the Fae in the castle servants, their lilting accents masking torment that had twisted into righteous anger. Sometimes she dreamed of marrying a kind lord who would understand the Irish plight, someone who would help her heal when her father was gone. But she was too sick for any man to want her, the Baron said. There was no escape, no hope. Until Orwin O'Reilly. The first time she'd seen him, he'd been by the lake, likely studying the movements of her father's guards, preparing to strike back at the invaders. But she didn't care that he was Irish. He was so unlike the men she had known, kind, sweet, passionate, and totally without cruelty. Falling in love with him had been as easy as breathing, even if understanding his accent when he got excited was a little tricky. Sabina could rarely slip away and struggle to travel, so he often came to Loch Sheelan, right beneath Ross Castle. She would leave the messages under a special rock, and they would talk on the shore, planning a world that allowed the two of them to be together. If they married, she wouldn't be English anymore, breaking the curse that had always hung over her head. Several weeks into their courtship, Sabina broached the subject of marriage with her father. He slammed his fist against the table, hard enough to crack the wood. The Black Baron assured her Sabina's life was not her own. She did not get to choose who to marry or when to marry. The governesses had given her too much freedom. Sabina started to make her apologies, but she stopped as a smile crept up her father's lips. It would only take a handful of hours to erect a guillotine. Orwin was the son of their closest chieftain. His death could start a war with the O'Reilly clan, giving England more territory, and Sabina would be fully free to marry whoever the Baron chose. He didn't need her consent so much as her resignation. She had to understand her place. Trapped, she consented to his plan her heart pounding so loudly she feared it would burst. As soon as her father released her from dinner, she sent word to Orwin, they must leave now. Sabina snuck down the servant's steps with a small satchel of belongings. Her breaths came in short spurts, pain tightening in her chest. The world swam around her for one brief moment before she steadied herself. Her frail body only needed to hang on for a few more hours. She could fall apart when she was safely across the lake and in the protection of Clan O'Reilly. Orwin did not arrive for several hours. Each chirp of an insect set her nerves alight. The darkness hid all sorts of horrors. There could be guards watching at the distance, constructing the guillotine as she waited for her lover to show. The Fae might be hiding in shadow to snatch her, even as she tried to make things right. Finally, he emerged from the shadows, rowing to shore. Her body shook violently as she climbed into the small boat. Under the moonlight, the lock shone like polished glass. She told herself she was almost free, 
Orwin would protect her from any threat, real or imagined, above ground or below. A crack tore through the sky. The skies rained down on them in torrents of water. The constant pelting hurt, almost like small pieces of sky than raindrops. The boat couldn't handle the pressure. It was filling with water, pressing their vessel into the lock. Soon, they would be sunk. Deep inside, Sabina felt it was somehow her father's vengeance. He would not let her escape. Perhaps he had stolen the land and made a deal with the Fae. His only child for the right to rule. She would not be allowed to leave this place, the playground of those that saw humans as sport. Sabina's body had never been able to handle exertion, but she didn't have a choice. Orwin pressed a kiss to her forehead. He told her that they would do this together. Sabina's tears mingled with the rain pelting her face. This was her escape. Without her, Orwin wouldn't be in danger. He placed his hands on both her cheeks, holding her gaze. She was worth the risk. She had to know that, no matter what happened. They would be together again. He dove into the water, turning to beckon her into his arms. But something was lurking behind him. She could hardly see with the rain stinging her eyes, but it almost looked like unnaturally long fingers reaching out to rake against his back. Sabina leaned farther over the edge. She wanted to warn Orwin if she could. But suddenly, a sharp push from behind sent her flailing into the lake. Icy water encased her instantly. She struggled to regain the air that had been squeezed from her lungs. The trail in the water was gone, leaving only foam-capped waves that threatened to toss her away from her love. She pushed against her discomfort, her joints stiff and sore from the changing temperatures. Slowly, she started to paddle through the water, reaching out for him. A creature slithered in front of her, too large to be a snake, waiting between her and Orwin. Her muscles screamed as she fought to stay above water, to cry out and warn him. The water that crashed into her throat was freezing as it entered, but burned her lungs all the same. She feared she would sink, immobile at the bottom of the lake forever, frozen in time as her chest burned, eternally drowning. The creature paused for a moment, a pair of yellow eyes appearing from just below the depths. It seemed to consider her for a moment, then dove far below the surface. She felt something curl around her ankle, too smooth to be vegetation. Then she was pulled beneath the waves. Orwin was there, pulled by something slithering too. He was trying to scream through the water. A purple-skinned woman with a crown of snails and blades for teeth smiled at them. The Fay Queen. Her lips curled and twisted, but Sabina could not make out a word the woman said. Perhaps because she was speaking to Orwin and running a long finger down his neck. The Fay Queen looked nothing like the figures in her nursemaid stories. 
There was no unearthly beauty or seduction in her visage. She appeared exactly as she wanted to be at all times. Beautiful or terrible, fanged or smiling. Sabina tried to kick herself free from whatever creature held her, but the grip remained firm. Sabina pushed harder, trying to fight the creature and the current at the same time, forcing her way toward Orwin. Her arms stung. Her legs were stiff, barely able to bend anymore. The light was leaving Orwin's face. She could just make out his declaration of love and the Fay Queen's hand on his chest. The Fay Queen ripped Orwin's heart from his body and disappeared. Small tendrils of blood curled through the swirling silt, as if stretching out to caress Sabina. A last insult from a monster far more powerful than she. The creature released its hold on her, disappearing into the darkness. Sabina used the last of her strength to swim to Orwin. She wrapped his arms around her body, but he could not hold her. He was gone. Her salvation had died. Only when she was alone did she feel the pain hit her. A searing void of nothingness filled her chest, lungs screaming for air. The world was hazy now. Her whole body was tired, pulsing with pain. Sabina no longer had the strength to keep pushing to the shore. There was nowhere to go. So she clutched at Orwin the way her fear used to clutch at her, tightly, no space for air. For the briefest second, she felt his arms close around her. When her eyes opened, Sabina expected to be on the shores of heaven, Orwin at her side, her father's cold smile greeted her instead. While records of his daughter are thin, we have extensive records of Richard Nugent, the so-called Black Baron. One of the most documented tales of his cruelty involves him slaughtering a beggar for stealing bread despite the baker desperately explaining that a dog took the loaf from the windowsill. The violence he carried out in clashes with the Celtic Irish on behalf of the English king was brutal, even for the time. Tensions ran high, despite extensive intermarriage between villagers on both sides. The story of Sabina Nugent and Orwin O'Reilly has no historical record, and the tale may very well be an apocryphal way to discuss the harsh fate of intermarriages between the English and the Irish. But the bulk of information about this period comes from biographers of the British nobility, a chronically ill woman who loved an Irishman and died without producing an heir would be of little consequence to them. Up next, Sabina discovers there are fates worse than death. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. 
but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. One might expect Sabina and Orwin's tale of doomed love to end with the storm on the lock. But Sabina's last struggle was not with nature or the Fae. The greatest monster was her father. And in Ireland, English nobility was far harder to defeat than even the Fae. Light pricked Sabina's eyes through the painful glare. She swore she could see the glittering curtain of heaven and Orwin's open arms. He was waiting for her. The smell of porridge wafted under her nose, and the curtain burned up, leaving flecks of hope scattered along the floor. The real world was dull and muted, sound coming to her through a piece of thick cloth. She was in the world and apart from it, a mirage that managed to take human form. Sabina pushed the porridge away, sending the bowl clattering to the floor. The last time she had eaten, Orwin was still alive. No morsel would pass through her lips until that was true again. They could tie her to the bedpost and shove the spoon down her throat, but the food would not make it to her stomach if she did not will it so. Her father hit her so hard, the room swam before her eyes. His voice thundered in her ears, fading into the maelstrom that had filled her mind since all her hopes had died. The pelting rain, the wooden boat that should have carried them to safety, the purple queen and her strange teeth, Orwin's body beneath the waves. She stared at her father vacantly shaking her head slowly. Whether the gesture was aimed at him or the storm, she couldn't tell. Either way, it wouldn't be long now. When the door slammed loudly against its frame, the storm dissipated. Her father was gone. Sabina turned to the governess, asking what punishment would come next. The other woman simply shook her head, saying a small prayer for the girl's soul. Sabina told the governess to save her words. She had tried to fight the curse that held her captive. Now, the only way out was through death. If God was merciful, he would have let her drown in the arms of her love. That decision was up to her now. The hours passed slowly. Lightning dashed down from the heavens to strike the surface of Loch Sheelan. Sabina crept to the window. Pieces of Orwin's boat floated in the water. The lightning flashed again. Then she saw it, a body on the shore. She could not make out its features from her tower. The body's hand moved slowly. It started to rise. Sabina ran for the door. Arms pulled her back. She fought and kicked and bit. It was no good. 
They looped rope around her wrists and ankles, holding her in place. She screamed for them to find the man by the lock. Her governess could not meet her eyes, as she told Sabina that there was no one outside. A blatant lie. Sabina felt the rope tear into her skin, but she kept fighting until her wrists and ankles were raw. She screamed and begged and wailed. Tears streamed down her face. Her governess wiped them away. Her expression, one of cold pity. A howling sound started outside. She told the servants that it must be Orwin. He must still be alive. Somehow, he had come back for her, to save her and break this curse. They shook their heads, sadly. When their eyes began to droop, Sabina asked her governess to untie her so she could use the chamber pot. The woman agreed. Sabina stood up and fell backward immediately. The blood rushed to her extremities, and the room spun around her. She screamed in pain, and the howling called back. Orwin. Sabina bit down on her lip to keep from screaming again. Taking several shaky steps, she made her way to the chamber pot. She gripped it with both hands and swung it into her governess's face. The other woman collapsed to the floor as she lay motionless on the stones. A small pool of blood spread from beneath her head. Sabina tried to run, but her body was too weak to carry her. She stumbled down stone steps and through hallways. The guards saw her, but made no effort to stop her. The howling grew louder and louder. Orwin was calling to her. She had to reach him. She retraced the path of her first escape, creeping down the servant's stairs and outside. The cold air stung the places where her skin had been worn away. Sabina stared down the shoreline. From above, everything had looked so much closer. Out here, she saw that the lock was still some distance away. Orwin was still on the shore. Like her, he was losing strength. She dug her feet into the dirt of the lakeshore, small rocks embedding themselves into the pads of her feet. Pain shivered up and down her spine, but she could not stop until they were reunited. Then she would give her tired body over to God and sleep for eternity. She was just feet away now, close enough to see how his clothes were still wet. Sabina saw a flicker of movement in Orwin's fingers. His skin had shifted to a light purple, and as she gripped his hand, water leaked out of it. The flesh felt like cheese that had been stretched thin, no longer like skin at all. There was no pulse. Sabina had seen him from the window. He had stood. He had called to her, howling from his place on the shore, straight up to her tower. It had been real. Unable to process, she pushed him onto his back. The fish had eaten chunks of Orwin's face. Slivers of white bone shone through his cheeks. 
Something had scratched his eyes, leaving small divots in them. His mouth was open in a silent scream. She closed his mouth gently and kissed him. His lips were slimy, eel-like. Rain battered the two of them, eroding his crumbling flesh even further. She did not know how long they laid on the shore together, shivering in the rain and the cold. All she knew was when she opened her eyes again, her father stood over her. She tried to cover Orwin's body with her own, but he cast her aside. The guards dragged her inside. She did not fight this time. Her limbs had grown heavy. Her torso felt like a leaden weight. Perhaps her heart had sunk so deep into her body that she was no longer alive. But her ears still worked perfectly. She heard her father's tirade, and beneath that, the faint howling of her lover. He was in as much pain as she. She knew it. Sabina missed a step and fell face first onto the castle's landing. She felt the warm trickle of blood across her face. A weight had settled on her chest and shoulders. Impossible to fight. She needed to rest for just a moment. She closed her eyes. They never opened again. Sabina Nugent is generally accepted to be Ross Castle's most prominent ghost. She appears as both a full apparition and a helpful unseen presence. Now, she does her best to help the castle staff in their cleaning duties by putting objects back in their usual places when no one is looking. The Black Baron has also been seen at the castle grounds, though, as one might expect, he is a much more malevolent presence. He ambushes guests in the middle of the night and slams doors, just as he did in life. A reminder of the horrors he committed during his life. But his cruelty and his daughter's untimely death are far from the only tragedies to visit Ross Castle during its history. Coming up, a modern visitor to the castle has a chilling Victorian vision. Now, back to the story. Ross Castle was renovated with modern conveniences during the 1960s by the Nugent family and has been operated as a quaint bed and breakfast since the mid-2000s. There are a few rooms within the walls and three in the tall tower. The tower is a beacon of supernatural activity. Guests who stay in the bedrooms in that section of the fortress report being watched by a sinister male figure at the foot of the bed. The tower is also where the ghost of Sabina does a lot of her well-intentioned cleaning when people look away. The lock can be seen out of several of the tower windows, but there is only one where you can see an impossible vision on the water. But one must plan well, for the stunning apparition only appears once every 100 years. 
A cozy stay in a castle had sounded idyllic when Ryan had booked her trip to Ireland, especially in the picturesque Irish winter, the perfect environment for a writer's retreat. She would get to be part of history. She could sleep in old beds and recreate the feeling of living in a different time. Fortunately, her recreation would be without the smells and poor plumbing of the medieval period. The woman who owned the bed and breakfast was lovely, all cheerful smiles and quick jokes. She told Ryan to enjoy the privacy. In today's day and age, it was so hard to carve out time to just take in a moment. And that's what Ross Castle offered to its guests. The owner left for the night. There were no other guests. Ryan would be alone with her thoughts and imagination. The room was just big enough with a large four-poster bed that looked like it would be at home in several centuries. It was sturdy, unyielding, much like the Irishmen who had fought and died trying to protect their land. Ryan idly wondered if this was the same room Irish freedom fighter Miles the Slasher O'Reilly slept in, She'd read he'd slept at Ross the night before he died, defending the Bridge of Finney from Oliver Cromwell's forces in 1644. Musing over history, she put her stuff on the floor and sprawled out along the mattress. As she closed her eyes, Ryan imagined she could hear the sounds of arrows whizzing through the air, the screams of the dying, one last hurrah from the side of the Irish. She smiled feeling truly part of something. Several hours later, she woke up. She heard the odd creak, but it was a castle. Those kind of noises were to be expected. Age often expressed itself vocally in buildings, just as it does with people. But as she sat up, she noticed a man sitting at the foot of her bed. His eyes stared right through her. His legs crossed beneath him. He casually examined the sheets. Ryan tried to speak to him, but he didn't answer. He met her eyes briefly. He smiled. Then he lunged towards her. She fell backward onto the bed instinctively, but he was already gone. His form evaporated like several thousand dust motes floating through the air. She could still feel the breath on the back of her neck. He whispered in her ear that there was no escape for misbehaving children. She turned, more disoriented and angry than frightened. There was nothing there. Ryan had to laugh. Arguing with ghosts had not been mentioned in any travel guide, but she had been prepared to do it. She would not accept condescension, even from beyond the grave. She was ready to smash the supernatural patriarchy. Ryan decided to wash up for the night. She headed to the bathroom. It had been artfully cut out of the imposing stone walls, blending the old and the new. She flipped the light on and started to wash her hands. The white bowl turned pink. Long scratches trailed up and down her forearms in a haphazard pattern, as if someone was clawing at her skin, desperately trying to hold on. They were fresh, still red and bleeding. 
Ryan told herself she must have done it in her sleep. She washed the wounds and returned to bed, hoping whatever night terror she had suffered was over. But she couldn't help but feel marked. The sun rose over the lock. The ice on the lake glinted where the light fought through the gray clouds, but the view was still incredible. Ryan laced up her snow boots and walked to town by herself. She told herself there wasn't anyone walking beside her, but she could have sworn she felt the breathing again. Each time she checked, there was no one there. She consoled herself with hot toddies and good conversations with the locals, who found her Boston accent fascinating, if difficult to understand. It was long after nightfall when she trundled away from the pub and back to the castle. She was almost at the wide wrought iron gate when she was stopped by a strange sound. The snuffling of horses, the creaking of wood. There was a carriage traveling across the frozen lake, just barely visible under the light of the moon. A train of people followed behind, clothed in long dresses and formal suits, all dark. The bonnets and top hats suggested this was some form of reenactment. By the light of their lanterns, she saw that none of them were smiling. Ryan was curious, but a prickle of unease slid down her back. It was an odd time to do a reenactment, and the area wasn't precisely known for its tourist economy. She thought of the man at the edge of her bed, and her gouged arms from the night before. Still, she was a writer, and this was a story. Hesitantly, she stepped onto the ice. No one turned to look at her. She crept towards the procession. Her hands slid out to touch one of them, seeing if they would dissolve like the man had in her room. The person was solid underneath her fingertips, their black coat made out of something scratchy, like wool. A wail worked its way through the crowd, first one, then several others, joining together in a hypnotizing harmony. Ryan found herself walking forward, becoming part of the procession. Her jeans and puffer coat should have stood out, but no one seemed to care. Other mourners came to the ice, taking their places behind Ryan. Several of them cried out, echoing the grief of others. Some dabbed daintily at their eyes. Others made the sign of the cross and kept their heads peeled forward. It was too dark for Ryan to discern clear shapes through the carriage windows. On one of the seats sat a long black box. A coffin. Ryan tried to open the door. It was locked. Someone pushed into her, urging her forward. She took her place with the mourners, walking towards the front of the procession. Suddenly, she heard a sharp snap underneath the wails and screams for the dead. Ryan looked at the carriage, but it was still in motion. Nothing was broken. She took another step forward. Several more cracks followed. Something was wrong with the ice. For a moment, it seemed like the whole world turned on its axis, creaking like an old battleship. Then a snap 
shook beneath her, and the ice gave way. The carriage fell first, frigid water splashing onto the nearby mourners. Ryan's screams joined with the unearthly chorus as the ground shook. The horses screamed as they slid into the gaping hole. Those traveling behind the carriage swiftly followed. But they did not slide. No, they were walking. Two by two, they marched past her, straight into their death, with empty eyes and hollow smiles. Ryan slid across the surface, barely able to maintain her balance as she fought against the flow of the crowd. Her legs gave out, and she fell to the ice. The cracks neared her feet. She scooted farther back, her hands stinging from their contact with the cold. She screamed for someone to help her. One man stood in front of her. Ryan grabbed onto his pants leg. It disappeared in her hand. She closed her eyes, telling herself this wasn't real. They were phantoms on the ice. She was safe in the castle, warm and asleep. When she opened her eyes, the cracks were still there. More members of the procession vanished down into the water as she made a beeline for the closest patch of solid ground, an island in the center of the now not-so-frozen lake. The area ahead of her started to crack accepting more people into its icy maw. Ryan scrambled to her feet. Her joints burned. She took one step forward. A web of cracks blossomed underneath her foot. Slowly, she slid her foot along the ice. Ryan took another step. The ice held. She breathed a sigh of relief. She took her next step. Her body plunged into the icy water, sinking as the hole up above moved further and further away. She thought she saw the strange image of the carriage, still processing across the lake bottom, a piece of living history. But then she was alone in the depths, unable to breathe, the ice like small knives in her skin. No matter how hard she fought and pushed, the water was always stronger. Soon enough, she gave up the fight, becoming just another secret of the frozen lake. Loch Sheelin is 15 meters or 49 feet deep at its deepest point, so it freezes beautifully in winter offering a sturdy surface for humans and even carts to move across the lake without going around. Legend says that during the Victorian era, one such walking funeral procession was making its way to a church on one of the Locks Islands. They unknowingly crossed a thin spot of the ice. The carriage went down first, pulling the two draft horses under. The rest of the mourners followed, leaving only the priest behind. The highest lakeside tower window at Ross Castle is perfect to catch a view of the procession as it crosses the ice. But the legend says that the apparitions only appear once every 100 years. Ross Castle is one of Ireland's best kept secrets, landlocked on all sides in County Meath, 
It provides a beautifully preserved historical fortress that you can actually spend a night in. The castle's guest book is filled with handwritten stories, and the internet has quite a few more. But as fun as the medieval and renaissance spooks and scares might be, one might want to pick a four-leaf clover or leave some milk out for the fae. Best to stay on Luck's good side, so you get a visit from Sabina and not the Black Baron. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. For more information on Ross Castle, amongst the many sources we used, we found the reporting of the Irish Times extremely helpful to our research. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legends series, available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted Places in the search bar. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, Sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Travis Clark, and Joel Stein. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil DeRitter and Jennifer Rache, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs>